Well, good morning, everyone. Again, I'm glad you're here. We, we're in a great series called Love Reigns. We started this on Easter, and we're going to end next week, and then we'll probably go into the book of James. Uh, that's kind of the, the plan. But in the middle of this series, Love Reigns, uh, we discovered that through Jesus, and, and, and he was mocked on the cross, uh, you know, even hanging up the sign, King of the Jews, but his death and resurrection was the clearest proof, uh, proof of the authority that we have of who Jesus was and is. He did not avoid going to the cross, but instead he defeated that cross. And last week we were encouraged to know that when we're united in Christ through faith in him, we begin a, as a new creation and we become that. Our past that we have, and we all have a past, uh, some people's past, we, you know, we, we try to bury it further than other people's past. You know what I'm saying? Depending on where you are in life. Um, but that past uh, it does not dominate who we are because Jesus endured the cross. And that love that, that reigns over our past is, is unbelievable. And today we're going to continue that series as we look at how, rain, how, how love reigns over our presence, our present because of God's great mercy, we can live our lives that honor him every day. You know, ever so often my son will come home from school and, and, and tell me they did this in class and they did that in class. And this last week, he says, they, uh, or two weeks ago, he said they, they played a game Simon Says in class, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, when I say Simon Says, uh, you do whatever, uh, that's how you respond. You do whatever he says. Um, and if I give you instruction without that, you don't do it. Uh, that's the way it should work. So let's try, to, l l let's try this, right? You all want to go back to fourth grade, correct? Uh, some people are shaking their head. Hey, I've been taking kindergarten classes this past year so with my other son. So Simon says, clap your hands. <laughs> Simon says, stop. Simon says, blink your eyes. Simon says, stop. Simon says, stomp your feet. Simon says, stop. Simon says, look up and down. Stop. Did any of you stop? Yeah, Simon says, stop. So whoever didn't stop, I'm sorry, you lost, you'll have to leave. Okay, maybe not. Right now you're thinking, Simon says, hopefully this is a short sermon. I, I get that. But we all remember the game, you know, and, and Simon says it uh, was a test of our willingness to listen to instruction and decide whether to do that instruction or to ignore it. Now, Simon says a little, little trick in a sense, you know, because you have to really be paying attention. You really have to, to think about it. But oftentimes we have a choice, like Simon says, in life. We live day to day and we make thousands of decisions. And we constantly have to weigh out our options and choose what we think is best. Sometimes our decisions are influenced by the things that we're told to do. We find ourselves being obedient to the voices around us, whether they're parents or, or co-workers or, or a boss or whatever. And we find ourselves being obedient to those uh, voices because they have our best interest in mind. However, God's love for us gives us another option, to listen to his voice in order to make the best decision possible right now, today. 
our choices reveal who reigns in our lives. The things we choose to do or not do show us who we're listening to. Our lives largely, you know, make up of the decisions that we have made in the past. And they can be a painful litmus test to whom or what has our allegiance. Our past is a collection of wise or unwise choices that we've made along the way. And if we look back at those past decisions, who would we conclude has been in charge the majority of our life? How many of our past decisions were the result of obedience to God? God says to act this way, so therefore we act this way. How many of our choices were a result of obedience to our sinful desires or the voice of this world? The Apostle Paul has a lot to say about living uh, our lives and, you know, under the influence of God rather than influence of the world. He frequently focuses on this topic in the scriptures because as followers of Christ and people who have responded to the love of God, people who've said that, I mean, you've come here uh, to church for a reason, right? So you've responded to God that love ought to reign in our lives and rule over our decisions, often, unfortunately, that is not always the case. In Romans 1, or Romans 12, 1, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul begins by saying that every instruction he is about to give must be seen through a specific lens. In order for us to to truly grasp this new way of living in the present, we have to see all of life in a certain view, a certain way. You know, his comments cannot be appreciated in any other way. I love photography. I've been taking pictures all my life. Um, I have an eye for photography for some reason. I, you know, I never got any formal training, but I can look at something and, and look at it and go, okay, that's, that's going to be a good picture. And I love nature. I mean, I can take decent people pictures, but I really love nature photography. I view it as, as God's beauty, you know, and imagine if, if man hadn't messed up this world, how much more beautiful it would be, you know? So I've taught my son Brandon to take a lot of pictures. In fact, he takes over my camera on most trips now, so I don't get to take pictures anymore. Um, He usually takes it. But uh, one of the tools in my bag is a zoom lens. But it's just not like a little zoom lens. It's a bigger zoom lens, 100 to 300. Now they make them really big, but that's what I can afford is 100 to 300 zoom lens. And it has a built-in stabilizing image into it. So, so you know, normally you go all the way out to 300. It's like this as you're holding the camera. You know, that's how the view looks. But, the, but with the image stabilizing, it, it slows it way down so you can actually get a decent picture out of it. This means I get shots and see things in a very different perspective. I mean, an eagle's beautiful flying through the air, but when you can zoom in on them, it's amazing. Because you can see the individual, you know, feathers and, and how they flow out. And so I got some awesome eagle pictures. I should have put one up. I, I didn't think about it earlier. But it's amazing the different perspective you can get from that point of view compared to just our normal vision. This is what Paul is doing here. 
This is Paul's goal in this passage. He wants us to change the way we see life. He wants us to to reorient the way we see our present life. So he says, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. Just this one thing can change your life. I mean, how many of us walk around grumbling and complaining over our present circumstances? I can be one of the best complainers. You know what I'm saying? Maybe some of you don't, but, you know, something goes wrong and you're just like, you know. And my wife knows that if I start complaining, she just kind of sits there and listens and let me get it out, and then I'm okay, you know. But we're, we're so often not satisfied with our lot in life or what's happening. So we try to do things on our own. We try to be in control of the, the things that present our, uh, to ourselves. And, and Paul invites us to see things completely differently through the lens of God's mercy. God has been so merciful for you and for me and what he did on the cross. You notice Paul doesn't say, I urge you in view of hell. I urge you in view of the guilt that you might have or the shame that you might have in your view of God. Paul knows that these are only short-term motivators. Fear will only get you so far in that motivation. Paul is looking for the long term. Paul is looking way out there. And God's mercies are new every morning, the scripture says. So every morning you can get up and guess what? No guilt, no shame. That's how God, that is how, you know, how God is so good in our lives. I I think I will, you know, uh, it makes us go, I think I will give my life to him today. I will give him my thoughts, my actions, my desires. He sent his one and only son to die on the cross because of his mercy for us in our life. He offered us a fresh start to repentance because of his mercy. This alone can change our present, and it can change our minds, and gives us a different view by helping us move that focus from what we want to have done for us to the things that God has already done for us. God wants all of us. And what I mean by that is I'm not saying all of us. I'm saying God wants all of us, all of who we are. Our bodies are the key to our behavior. Before we give ourselves to God, our bodies were used for sinful, selfish things. Now that we trust God, we're not as selfish See, Christ offered up his body on the Christ. So in turn, he is saying, time for you to offer your body. Be my follower. Take up my cross. And when we offer our bodies, when we offer ourselves, we become the temple. He puts the Holy Spirit within us. I would say this is a good trade, wouldn't you? Offer our bodies, we get the Holy Spirit. Before it was all flesh, now the Holy Spirit is healing in our bodies and to our bodies. He brings healings to our emotion. He brings healings to our minds and our relationships. When we turn our attention to the mercy of God and what he's done for our life, then we're compelled to live our lives as a living sacrifice. 
that's holy and pleasing to God. The concept of sacrifices is rich in imagery and, and history for the audience that Paul is speaking to. They understood that sacrifice because sacrifice was what happened on the temple grounds on a daily basis. It involved taking a, a life of an animal, whether it was a sheep or a goat or a bird. The animal's blood would, would atone for the sins of the people. That life would, would cover the life of the one performing the sacrifice. It involves death and offered life. And this is why Jesus' death was considered the ultimate sacrifice for all of humanity. Then we wouldn't have to bring those things to the altar. Instead, we just bring ourselves as a living sacrifice, not one that's going to die in, in that sense. I think we get a glimpse of the meaning in Psalms 51. 16 and 17, it says, you, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, one that you will not despise. The author of Psalm 51 is shedding light on the real reason for the sacrificial system for the Jews had in place. It was not about the sacrifice itself. It was about the heart, the desires, the stuff that was behind the sacrifice. The true sacrifice of the follower of Jesus is a contrite heart, an obedient heart. This is what God is looking for. Now, you know, since, since Jesus paid everything, his blood on the cross, it paid for everything. And Paul calls us to be that living sacrifice. This is actually more difficult than a dead sacrifice. Because a dead sacrifice does not have a choice in the matter, does it? It gets drugged to the altar, the throat is slit, not to be graphic, but I'm just saying it doesn't have a choice. It's drugged there. It has to stay on the altar. But a living sacrifice gets up and crawls back off the altar. Off the altar. Paul is saying, in view of God's mercy, be that living sacrifice. Live a life right now in the present under the reign and rule of God's love. And be repentant and obedient to God. Paul goes on in the, in the passage of Romans to give us the ultimate outcome of living that sacrificial life. In Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern in this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to, uh, able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The world around us has a pattern that leads to a broken life. The world is marked by patterns of greed, selfishness, pride, envy, gossip, these patterns are easy to fall into and can be difficult to change and transform. They're called patterns because they are routine and often done just without even thinking about it. But also because these patterns can be identified and changed. Changing your patterns will change your life. Changing how you act will change your life. With a little attention... Patterns can be easily identified. It's a, it's a skill we've been you know, teaching our children from childhood, right? 
I try to teach my son. Now, I'm not fussing at you about this. I'm trying to get you to recognize when you do this, this happens, right? So I'm, not, I'm trying, to, trying to parent you. I'm not trying to argue, not trying to beat you over the head, just trying to parent you. So this year I've been taking kindergarten classes, and I sat through countless classes with my son Grayson, and then I had homework. I mean, he had homework. But one of the things taught in kindergarten classes are patterns. Patterns involve shapes and colors, and they'll have like a, a red triangle and a, a you know, yellow whatever. And a, you know, they have different patterns. And then all of a sudden, one of the, one of the objects is no longer in that pattern, and the, and the student... Grayson would have to figure out what goes in that place, teaching him the patterns. He keeps repeating and repeating. Once you know the pattern, what should come next should be obvious to us. This is the same in our lives. If we pay attention to our patterns and how we act, we begin to anticipate and understand what comes next. And then we have a chance to change them. To identify those patterns, sometimes we have to change our camera lens or our perspective. Perhaps this is the reason Paul tells us to see life in view of God's mercy, trying to change that view. When we understand God's love and his mercies that he has for us in our lives... We find the reason to transform our lives and to renew our minds so that we might develop a pattern of, of taking ourselves away from those mistakes and toward God. You know, sometimes it can lead to feeling depressed or anxious when we start making mistakes, one mistake after another, and we have to break that pattern. We need to not conform to that pattern any longer, as the Scripture says. Maybe you notice a, a pattern of telling lies to people around you. And it always, you know, leads to more deceptive lifestyle. Don't conform to it any longer. Stop it. Maybe you see a, a pattern of laziness in your life. Well, then maybe you ought to get up out of the, you know, off the couch and do something. Plan to do one more thing or two more things. You know, I've noticed that uh, I've had a, a, a new swing set for <clears throat> two years that the kids, because the old one was starting to fall apart and rot, you know, because it was sitting on the ground and got rain on it and water from the sprinklers, and, and I needed to do it. And, and I kept thinking about, okay, I need to take out the old one. I need to do this. I need to do that. You know, I've thought about that thing longer than it's probably going to take me to put it up, and it's probably going to take me about 20 hours to put up the new one. You know what I'm saying? You ought to see how many bolts and nuts and screws this thing has. That's why I've been avoiding it. But... We have to go, now let me go do this. Okay, let me go do one more step in it. There's like 64 steps to this thing. If anybody wants to help, you're always welcome to come on over. But a pattern of laziness, it produces a spirit of apathy towards your work, your family, your dreams. In view of God's mercy, do not continue the pattern. We need to break it. We need to experience new life. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How will other people know 
that, you're not con- uh, that you are not conforming to the pattern of this world. Think about that for a second. How do other people know that you're a Christian and you don't do the things of this world? Well, they watch you. They watch where you go. They watch what you choose to do. They listen to the words that you say. They see what you put up on Facebook. (laughs) They see what you forward on Facebook and share on Facebook. It's amazing what you learn about people on that. I'm like, don't friend me, because I might send you a post privately, of course, and say, what are you doing? Why are you putting that up? Come on. You go to my church. You say you're a Christian. Why are you doing that? Now, I don't do that all the time, because I don't want to be, you know, I beat people over the head, all this stuff, but it's amazing what people will post or repost, and I don't want to keep bringing up Facebook, but I don't think some people quite understand how important it is when we present ourselves to the world and we say we're a Christian and yet we do A, B, and C. It says a lot about us. When you, you, know, when you post something, when you hit the like button on something, when you share somebody else's post, it all paints a picture of who you are and what you believe. It's important to be godlike in all areas of our life, including the anonymous Facebook. Why, why people think it's anonymous? It's not. If your body has been presented to the Holy Spirit, it's not just a weekend thing. It's not just a Sunday thing. It is a 24-7 thing. We don't, contr- you know, we don't uh, change control based on what day of the week it is or what city we're in what friends we are around. You know, I keep talking, my wife, she cannot, you know, and, and I'm the same way. We don't like Las Vegas, you know. But uh, up until COVID, she had a yearly conference that she was required to go to in Vegas, the place that she loves so much, you know. But if we're posting, hey, we're going to Vegas, we're just going to have a great time, what is that saying to the world? You know, just like we wouldn't convert this sanctuary to, you know, a brothel or something like that on Friday nights. I mean, that would just be ridiculous, correct? Seeing if you're awake, you all should be shaking your head. Simon says, shake your head up and down, okay? In the same way, it's the same as our bodies. We would freak out if we did that to the sanctuary. But our bodies are much more than this building. This building is just a building. Our bodies are the temple of God. The temple of God. So we need to trade our will for God's will. The ultimate outcome of of the sacrificial life and a renewed mind is the ability to distinguish the will of God from your present life. How many in this room today have struggled wondering what decision to make about this thing or that thing? Anybody struggling with a decision? I'm not going to ask you to tell us what that decision is. Though I might. No, okay, I won't. But we struggle. 
Many of us want to do what God wants us to do. And when it becomes, you know, when it comes to our careers or serving others or loving our families or investing our energy and our time, our resources, Paul says the best way to the will of God is by trading our own will in and creating better patterns for our lives. We start making good decisions about this. Little things. Make a good decision. And then the next decision comes along and we make a good decision. And we develop that pattern of thinking it through and asking for advice of other godly people, those that have gone before us, and we start making better decisions. And then we find ourselves down the road going, wow, I can handle this big decision right now, but I I couldn't have two years ago because of where I was at. We have to make one good decision after another. This is like, you know, uh, Tyler's little one, um, you know, uh, learned how to walk this past year. How did he do that? Did he just wake up one morning? As a little taller, Simeon just goes, I'm going to walk. And boom, it was done. No, he put one foot forward, right? Then he stumbled like we do in our Christian walk. And then he did a couple of steps. And then it was, you know, went from there. And Tyler's just like, stop, you know, it's running away. One step at a time. What if we were to trade in our time and energy that we used to spend on the old patterns of our life and created new patterns with better outcomes? What would our life look like then? Under the reign of God's love and his mercy in our life, we spend more time in prayer. How do you do that? We start out with a small prayer. The next day, you start out with a longer prayer. The next day, you start out a little longer. Or you get into his word. One day you read a little, the next day you read a little bit more, the next day you read a little bit more. You serve other people, you start helping other people, and you listen to the voice of God. God promises to lead us and show us his will for our lives and how he wants us to make decisions when we submit to his leadership in our lives. Proverbs 3.8, or uh, 3.5-8, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. When we start to trust in the Lord and question our understanding, we begin to see the straight path that God leads us to. See, the trust is in the author, the author of our lives. And that author is seeking the best for us. When we can rely on uh, on that love and obey God because of it, you know, being a parent is a blast, right? Hopefully, as parents, you're sitting, you know, shake your head, parents. Your kids might be looking, right? (laughs) I mean, we love our kids, but it's not always fun and games. I certainly enjoy my kids, but there's a fair share of struggles and difficulties along the way as you raise your children. I've learned that from talking to other parents, right? From being a junior high pastor. Sometimes it can be a struggle, My kids have their own will. Did you know that? And they're not the same. 
I, I, I just, now one of them's adopted, so I, I, I you know, understand their, their personality is going to be a little different, but you're sitting there going, come on. Oftentimes, that will and desire is a direct conflict with my will and my desire for them. And that causes conflict sometimes, you know? The most difficult thing to teach them is in every, as my son's probably back there listening, cowering his head, going, he's talking about me. Okay, every parent goes through this. The most difficult thing to teach our children is that they can trust us because we love them. We're trying to mold them. We're trying to push them in a good direction. It's not punishment just for punishment reason, or it's not a talking to just for talking's sake. It's we're trying to, trying to get them to use their mind and their abilities and, and make wise and good decisions. When I say no to something or even punish them, I'm doing it because I love them and I want the best for them. Wouldn't every parent say that? Hopefully the answer is Yes. Trust is a hard thing to teach and even a harder thing to learn. But if we're going to live a, a life full of God and, and the, that God has for us, we must trust his love and let that love reign in our lives and over our present. So to sum up everything I've talked about today, you're thinking, why didn't you just say this? God's great mercy became a transforming reality through our life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The mercy is the result of God's love for us, and the love invites us to live differently in the present. We are to be living sacrifices that no longer conform to the patterns of this world. The world around us is deceptive, selfish, angry, and foolish. These patterns cannot be the patterns we live by. They cannot. Rather, we must renew our minds in the way we think, and in doing so, we discover God's will for us today. This is not always easy. A living sacrifice is always tempted to crawl back off the altar. See, that was easy right? Two minutes and that could have been done, right? But we need to think, the decisions I make today determine who I will be tomorrow. We need to fill. God's mercy has given me the chance to die to myself and come, along, uh, come alive in Christ. So therefore, we need to determine the current patterns in our life that maybe are destructive, and replace those patterns with better ways of living. Amen? Why don't you stand as we pray, and the worship team will come back up and finish us with a last song. Lord, I, I pray that we start recognizing the patterns in our life, the patterns that don't conform to you, the patterns that show you that we're living by the world's ways. I pray that once we recognize those patterns, we give those over to you. That we start to understand your mercy and your grace and how much there is for us. That even when we mess up, we can still come back your direction. 
because you love us. You love us so much that you went to the cross and died for us. You're willing to help us along the path. You're a great parent. You're the most loving thing in our lives. And I pray that we allow that love to reign, to reign in our lives in this present day. That we not conform to the ways of the world, but we conform to your ways. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May he bless you when you live for him this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.